If you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, that's where we're at tonight, Hebrews chapter 6. And last time when we were studying Hebrews chapter 5, if you look down at verse 14, you'll notice that it says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those by who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's kind of like a introduction into chapter 6, as we're going to find out here. So again, chapter 5 verse 14 leads into chapter 6. So we start off in chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews, and it says this, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. These first three verses, this we will do if God permit, it says there. So, the writer of Hebrews is saying here, as he had finished off saying in verse 5, that we should we are leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. The principles uh, is the, the principal things or the chief things of the doctrine of Christ. And one of the things that I'd like to impress upon you is that you have a Bible that you're holding in your hands. Hopefully you are using a King James Bible. Hopefully you have taken my advice after the, the many, many hours of research and of comparing that I've done, and you are holding in your hands a Cambridge, the Cambridge text of the King James Bible. You have this text. You have eyes, and you have a brain. You have a mind. You can read. And one of the things that I see that happens a lot is that there are people that will gravitate to men in order to learn the things of the Bible. Now, God is very clear that the Holy Spirit is the one that comes and leads us into all truth. He is the one that teaches us. We do not need a man, to te- the scriptures say. We, we need no man to teach us the scriptures. We find that in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, it says, But the anointing, which is basically the Holy Spirit, which ye have received of him, that's Jesus Christ, abideth in you, and you need not in- that any man teach you, But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So it says that the Holy Spirit comes, and we've received this Holy Spirit from Jesus Christ. And and the Holy Spirit is in us, and we don't need that any man teach us, but as the same Holy Spirit teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. That's not to say that men who read the scriptures and want to 
share the things that God has laid on their heart with you is necessarily wrong. And more so that that passage is talking about you don't need a man to teach you how to get saved like the laws of the Old Testament did. Because the Holy Spirit comes and can save you, teach you of the things of God, teach you salvation, teach you. But it can also be applied to the teachings of the Scriptures. Let me say this and be really, really straightforward on this. There are, have been, and always will be men for, on purpose or deceptively, will come to teach you and they will do so wrongly. They have whatever motives that there may be, pride, wanting the limelight, wanting to be in the spotlight, wanting to make a name for themselves, whatever it may be, whatever you may say that it may be that, that, that they're doing this reason, that this is, you know, the reason is for, they do it. And we have to be very careful. The two great things that we have that God has given us to understand spiritual truths and to understand scriptural things and the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is good for our instruction and learning, and one of them is the Bible. We have the Bible. We have the holy scriptures contained in the King James Bible that we can learn and we can know, we can study and we can read. And then we have the beautiful, wonderful, powerful Holy Spirit that will lead us in this truth. It is only by the fact that men's minds have preconceived ideas or thoughts and things that they seem to conjure up because they're not allowing the scriptures to speak to them. They're wanting to derive out of the scriptures something for themselves and so that they could find some new doctrine or whatever it may be. But again, remember that the scriptures and the Holy Spirit is what we can rely on for truth. And so what I try to do here when I'm sharing the scriptures with, with you is that I'm just saying what the scriptures say. That's what it should be. We should just say what the scriptures say, what the scriptures teach. And we as Christians if we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we should be able to come to the conclusion by reading the same Bible and coming to the conclusion of the same things and the same doctrines that's being taught. You'll have a group of people over here that will believe in a pre-tribulation, actually false pre-tribulation rapture because pre-tribulation is false. You have those that believe in a mid-tribulation and you have both those that believe in a post-tribulation rapture. One of them is biblical. They all can't be biblical. Only one of them can be. And post-tribulation rapture is contained in the scriptures only. The other two are completely false. If, if a person is reading and reading and reading the scriptures, God will show you that. You'll see very clearly and very plainly that this is what the scriptures teach. But there's people that will hold on to these other ideas and you get together with them and you talk with them and it's confusing because they're, they're, they're holding this idea and you're holding this idea that's biblical and theirs is not biblical and you have a clash. You come together and you begin to, to, to disagree with one another because people who hold non-biblical or 
wrong or or twisted biblical views are not reading the whole scriptures together and relying on the Holy Spirit. So getting back to Hebrews chapter 6, again, he says here that we are leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ and go on to perfection. He wants us to go on to perfection. Now, Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10 are the two chapters that people who believe you can lose your salvation or walk away from the faith and lose your salvation forever will use as proof texts to say, see here, see here, you can lose your salvation. Well, first of all, we know from the, from the very title and we know from digging out history of this letter or this book of the Hebrews that this was written to Hebrew Christians, those that were already spiritual, those that were already knowing the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, and that they had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when you come from something like that and you're told, here's the Lord Jesus Christ, here is the Messiah that's come, this is the finisher of the faith, but for uh, thousands of years, you and your family have been adhering to this Old Testament laws and ways the tendency to maybe have doubts in your mind and want to go back is very strong and is there. You remember that John the Baptist asked his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you the Christ? Are you the one that we're looking for? Jesus told him, I heal the blind, I heal the deaf, I raise the dead, I heal the sick. The, the poor has the gospel preached to him. Go tell John that. And they went back and told John, and he said, yeah, he is. Okay, he is. So the tendency is to go back. But we're going to learn something else when we get into those controversial verses. Let's go to verse 4. He says, "For he says, and this we will do if God permit. Now, verse 4, he says, for it is impossible. Remember that word, impossible. Impossible means unable to do, can't be done. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Verse 6, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now notice here that the word tasted is used twice in verse 4 and verse 5, tasted. And then he says, of the heavenly gift, of course, that's the word of God, and partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted of the powers of the world to come. Now, you got to look at this logically. Think about this for a minute. What is tasting? Tasting is not consuming. Tasting is not eating. Tasting is just that, just tasting. When you, when someone says, oh, I just made this dish of this delicious food, try it. Just taste it. You get a little bit on a spoon and you taste it. And you go, well, that's not very good. Or yeah, that's real good. But you don't sit down and consume the entire plate of food. You're only tasting a tiny bit. You're just tasting it. So it says that they were they tasted it. it doesn't say that they were they consumed it it doesn't say that, that they had it it says that they tasted it Now 
you remember back in the Old Testament, we find in uh, Numbers or yeah, Numbers chapter sixteen that they believed not. You remember through the Old Testament, you remember that they had quail, they had manna. They were at the foot of the mountain, and they heard God's voice, and they exceedingly feared and quaked, and they told Moses, you speak to God for us, because if we do, we're afraid we'll die. They saw his miracles. They saw the water coming out of Meribah. They saw quail. They saw manna. They saw the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. They saw the Red Sea parted and opened up. They saw all those things. They tasted and partaked of the manna and the quail and all of those things. Yet many of those did not believe. And it says we found out in the chapters of Hebrews here that it says that they weren't able to enter in because of unbelief chapter 3 verse 19 so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief tasting of those things seeing the miracles eating the manna and he drove them into the wilderness for 40 years that does not mean that they actually were saved that they actually believed those things it is possible to do these things that are in this list, enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, partaker of the Holy Ghost, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. It's possible to do that and not be saved. Partaker of the Holy Ghost? Yes, those men in the Old Testament were partakers. They, they saw the works of God. They saw the things that were done. They saw the miracles. They saw all that. Yet they did not believe. Now, you remember also, to, to back up this fact in the New Testament, that there were disciples that were walking with Jesus, and he had done some things and that they were confused about, and they, they were embarrassed over. And they decided, after spending many, many, many months, perhaps a year with him, that they wanted to walk away. They walked with Jesus. They were one of his disciples. They learned from him. They ate the bread. They ate the fish. They saw his miracles. They saw him raising people from the dead. And at one point, they, they walked away. And you remember when Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away also? And Peter said, where shall we go? You have the words of life. They were able to partake of the thing. They partook of the bread. They partook of the fish that he had made a miracle of. of. They, they maybe even drank some of the wine at the wedding of Cana that he turned the water into wine. They saw him raise people from the dead, yet they didn't believe and they walked away. The scriptures are clear from Genesis to Revelation that you cannot lose your salvation, especially in the New Testament. I have done a study on this, a full-length study on this, and you can find that on our website. But you cannot lose your salvation. The New Testament is especially extremely clear in many, many, many places that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and become a Christian and are born again, you will not leave and you cannot leave. You won't. Does the believer sin? Yes, the believer can sin, but he will quickly repent of the sin. He will quickly confess it and go on with his life. 
He does not fall and go back to his old ways and completely reject and leave the gospel. That is, that is not biblical at all. That's not outlined in the New Testament whatsoever. So it says all these things that he tasted, and it says, if they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified themselves, the Son of God afresh, and put them to an open shame. Now notice in verse 6, okay, if it says, not when, Notice, too, also there that seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him into open shame. Is verse 6 saying that if you fall away, you can never come back and repent and be saved again? Or is verse 6 saying that it's impossible for those that fall away to come back and renew them again in repentance? They don't need to, in other words. Why? Because it says, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So if they fall away again, is it saying that it's, it's impossible that they can't do that and ever be saved again? Or is it saying that you can't do that? You can't come back and repent because you're already saved. Again, also, in those verses, show me where in those verses it says a person has lost their salvation completely. The, the problem is with those who proclaim that you can lose your salvation is they don't know anybody that's ever been fully saved, born again, spirit-filled, and lost their salvation and gone to hell. They can't prove that to you. They cannot prove it to you. They can only point to scriptures that would maybe sound like you can. But again, remember, this is a warning to Hebrew Christians who might have the tendency to want to go back to their Judaism because of all their life they were ingrained in this. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to warn them and caution them. You can't do that. There's no way. Because why? There's nothing back in Judaism. There is no Savior back in Judaism. Christianity is the way forward, not the way back. So you have to read that and come to your conclusion whether you believe verse 6 is talking about whether it's impossible to do that and you can never be saved again or it's impossible because you already are saved and you can't do that. Verse 7 and 8, it says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it's dressed receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars rejected is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. Verse 7 and 8 is a mini parable. And it's talking about, take it this way, the earth that drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it bringeth forth herbs, meat, or right for them by whom it's dressed receive a blessing. But they which bear thorns and briars rejected and nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. Some will say who believe that you can lose your salvation. See right there? If you don't produce fruit, you're going to be withered and die and burn, and God will cast you into the fire of everlasting hell forever. Well, does it really say that? Again, it doesn't say that. It just says that the rain which drinks in come often upon it. Those that are bringing forth uh, herbs right for them to whom it is dressed receives blessing of God. If you're a Christian and you are born again and you're doing good works, you receive blessings of God. Verse 8 is those non-believers who don't believe and are rejecting the gospel. They bear thorns and briars. They're rejected because they don't, they're not Christians. They're not saved. They don't bear fruit. They don't bear any fruit at all. Whose end is to be burned. If they continue in this way, they will be in hell. So 
It's a mini parable again. Now, verse 9, he says, But beloved, we're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Verse 9, we know you're, he, he's saying in verse 9, essentially, we know you're not like that. We know, we have confidence and we know that you're not like the kind that would walk away, that would try to go away. We know definitely that you're not the unsaved people. We know that you made a profession in Christ. He says, that's why he says, we're persuaded better things of you. Better things of what? Better things than trying to want to walk away from the faith and go back to Judaism. He says, and things that accompany salvation. So right there, he knows, he's saying, we know you're saved. We know better things of you and those things that accompany salvation because we know you are saved. He says, though we thus speak. What do you mean, though we thus speak? Though we thus speak from verses 1 through 8 about the warning about falling away, the warning about going back to Judaism, which is that they won't do that because they are saved. He says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, verse 10, we stop there. Is this works salvation? Is this works-based salvation? He says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. No way is verse 10 talking about works-based salvation. No way. It's just talking about that these Hebrew Christians labored in righteousness and they worked and showed love towards his name and that they ministered to the saints. It's the same thing when you find in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it says, talked verse 8 and 9 is obviously the beautiful passages of great of faith by of salvation by grace through faith alone and then verse 10 says and we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath ordained that we should walk in them so that's the same type of thing it's just when you are saved you will do good works you don't do good works to become saved that's very important this is not a works-based salvation. It's not a works-based Christianity. You are saved by grace through faith and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone, apart from any works at all that you do. He says, verse 11, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. But follow... Be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We're going to find that out in chapter 11, the great hall of faith, as it's called. He says, For when God made promises to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he sware by himself. God did, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath of confirmation is to them the end of all strife. He says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that's us, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. What is immutability? It means unalterable or not changing. So he says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the unalterableness, 
the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed by an oath, that by two immutable things, unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, it is impossible for God to lie. Do you see that? It is impossible for God to lie. Not he could or it might. Impossible. No way at all can God lie. So when God says to you through the Lord Jesus Christ that I give them eternal life and no man shall snatch them from my hand, when he says that I give eternal life, when he says that if you come to faith in me, you have eternal life, not might but could, but has eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believeth on him should not perish but hath ever lasting life. They do have it. God cannot lie. It's impossible for him to lie. So when he says that to you and you follow all of the correct prescription that he has for coming to faith in Jesus Christ by believing on him alone by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't lie when he says, I give you eternal life. You'll never be snatched out of my hand. You have eternal life. He can't lie. So therefore, is a more powerful proof that God does not lie and that you cannot lose the salvation that you come to when you do, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, it's possible God will lie who might have a strong consolation of who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into the within the veil, whether the forerunner is, is for us entered, even Jesus made the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to learn in the next chapter 7 about Melchizedek, but in this chapter I just wanted to go over it with you of chapter 6 about this, where people will say you can lose your salvation. It doesn't say anywhere that in there. What do we know from this chapter? We know that you cannot lose your salvation. We know that he was warning the Hebrew Christians and warns us today too that you can't go back. Don't even think about it. You can't go back. And even if you did want to go back, you can't come back to repentance because you've already been saved. So you, so the saved believer in Jesus Christ cannot leave. He cannot go away. There's such a strong desire in the believer that's filled with the Holy Spirit, they will not want to leave. When you find the greatest thing in the world, when you find life everlasting, you're never going to want to leave. You never want to go away. You may fall. You may stumble. You may do some things, but you're never going to want to fall. You're never going to want to go away. You're always going to want to stay close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we learn in this chapter that God cannot lie. He does not lie at all. If he tells you the truth, he's telling you the truth, and you can believe it and bank on it. And that we have an anchor of the soul. We have a great anchor of the soul, it says, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is entering Jesus, who's made a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, that he enters within that veil. Jesus goes into behind the veil 
for us and is the mediator between God and man for us. So that's what we learn in this chapter. Next time we're going to learn about Melchizedek and the Lord Jesus.